0: If I tell them you're in your right mind, they'll put you in prison, they'll put you in prison, they'll put you in prison. Prison? Because I'm in my right mind? What a world. If you go to prison, you'll never act again. Hello and welcome to Fighting Anime, a podcast about life's big questions. I am Marshall McCready. It has been a while, but I am back with a podcast about time, and we're just going to get right into it. The point that I want to make in this podcast is that distinguishing between the two different senses of the word time explains why humans are different from robots and helps us connect more with our lives. Humans cannot experience time. Humans cannot experience time. We are organic biological creatures. Nothing about us operates at a steady rate. Nothing happens consistently. Our bodies are evolved or adapted for our lives, for the things that we encounter, and these things don't come at us at a steady rate. They're not consistent. Our organs are not made to uh, operate on, on a routine. You know, it's always doing... The heart is never beating at like one beat per second. It depends. Is there something crazy happening? You know, it depends. Are we sleeping? Is there... Do we have a rush of adrenaline because someone jumped out at us? Or we had an anxious thought? Those things don't come consistently. Time happens at a steady rate. One second, then the next second, then the next second. But our lives don't work like that, and we aren't like that. Even our blinks are not routine. We blink when it's raining, or maybe there's a gust of wind, or maybe someone said something crazy, and then we blink. But it's not steady. It's not consistent. It's not standardized. This isn't a new thing I'm saying. We've known for a while that humans can't experience time, I would say for quite a while. And that's because we are part of nature. And nature doesn't really incorporate routine or time in this steady state way. There's storms some days, some days it's hot. Our circadian rhythms are often disrupted because we stay up even later one day. Nothing about us is regulated. There's no reason, actually, at all to think that humans are such that they can experience time as a consistent, steady thing. We are part of nature. For a second, I want you to imagine a world with me, a different world. And I want you to really try to picture it, because it's hard. I want you to imagine... That tomorrow you woke up and there were no time concepts. So what are these? There were no seconds. There are no hours. There are no days or decades or months. There was no time-based metrics like miles per hour. You woke up in a world where you didn't know about these things and no one else did either because these things had to be invented or discovered at some point in history. So maybe you're behind that history, or maybe uh, the discoveries of seconds and hours and this kind of quantified type of time were lost, and you exist in a world after they were lost. Your alarm clock wouldn't go off. You would wake up, and then what? What would be different? Personally, I've thought about this for a while, and I think at first I would be extremely, like, say, or I'm not even sure, I think I would be stressed, but that kind of depends on me remembering that I once knew the time concepts. So let's just play with that for a second. Like, I'm a big planner. Um, I definitely like to keep track of my calendar. I keep, like, a things uh, to-do list. And I'm constantly thinking about planning my time. And I really admire people. uh, Like, my sister-in-law has, like, these five-year, ten-year plans. And I admire that. I'm like, dang, she's got... Her life, you know, planned out. She's got a plan, and she's working towards it. She knows where she's headed. But this kind of planning, which is a result of having these time concepts, like I couldn't plan in the same way if I didn't know about seconds or hours or days or months, this can be stressful sometimes. Like, Like, for example, when there's something... In the next six months, and you don't, you have no idea how it will turn out. Well, how can you make a five year plan if you don't even know how the next six months will turn out? Like, I applied for some graduate programs and I don't know if I'm gonna get in. And a lot of what my wife and I are gonna do is contingent upon the answer to that question. So it's like, okay, if I'm gonna sit down and make a five year plan, I actually need to make at least two five year plans now. Um, one plan that involves me getting into the program and one that involves me not getting into the program. But actually, there's even more, because what if I I applied to more than one program? So what if I get into one and not the other? Uh, There's now uh, like three or four plans. And this is just in the next six months. So like you can sit down and you can try to make one thing. You go, I'm going to make this one thing, it's going to be my five-year plan, but quickly it can kind of explode into all of these tracks, these different paths that have these that uh, kind of flow from these different junctures that you don't know about yet. And the more you try to forecast out into the future uh, in terms of later years, the harder it gets and the more possibilities and it gets more complicated and kind of more scary and more overwhelming. And you start to, or I start to have a lot of anxiety about it personally. But it, So it's stressful, but on the other hand, I really like having the schedule. But if I woke up in a world where there were no time concepts, I wouldn't really know what I'm missing. So I think I would have maybe, like, I don't know. I think maybe I'd be more focused on shorter-term goals, I guess. I'd be like, well, what do I need to do today? Uh, And then I would maybe make a list of the things to do and do them. But I wouldn't think, I'm going to do X from 9 p.m. to 10.30 p.m. And then I'm going to take a 15-minute break. And then following that, I'm going to have a deep work session where I'm going to read a book for 90 minutes. Like, there would be none of that. So I really want you to imagine this world. Imagine you woke up and time hadn't been invented or discovered yet. These time concepts that we rely on so much, they aren't there. There are no watches or clocks, but somehow, you know, people are still getting along or not getting along, but things are going along as usual or something close to that. What would you lose if you lost these time concepts? how would that impact your life? How would your experience of life be different? It's really important here to think about how we can't actually experience time. Like, but there's this weird way in which we can not experience time because we're biological creatures that don't operate on a consistent rate, and instead we operate based on our interactions with the environment, with other people, even with ourselves. And these things don't come at consistent schedules. And yet, there's something, there's something really different about the world we live in, something that's different from this imagined world. The world we live in now, we have these time concepts. We have something, right? We, I don't know. We have time, I guess, in a way that differs from this world that we just imagined. We have these time concepts, but we can't experience time, but things are different. So what's going on? What's going on is that we use the word time to mean at least two very, very different things. But we don't often recognize that we mean the word to convey these different meanings because there's just one word. Now, you might be thinking, now, Marshall, you said humans can't experience time. But I am sitting here right now and I am looking at my watch and I am seeing the second hand click. It's ticking. I'm seeing the second hand, or yeah, the second hand move consistently at my watch. How could I not be experiencing time right now? I'm experiencing seconds. I'm, lo- I'm looking at the watch, I'm experiencing the second. That's fair, that's a fair point. But here's the thing. What are you actually experiencing when you look at your watch? Or when you look at a timer or a clock? What is it that you're experiencing? Let's just break it down for a second. Say you're looking at a wristwatch, the second hand on a wristwatch. You're seeing this lever move between two different tick marks. And that's time. But how is that different than me walking my dog, Pam, and capturing a moment in which her leg, one leg moves in front of the other leg. She's walking, so it's like a hinge. One leg steps in front of the other leg. This is kind of, you know, structurally similar to the stopwatch in that things are moving, except now we're talking about my my dog, Pam's legs, instead of a stopwatch. I think it's useful to perform this exercise. If we can experience time, that means we have experienced time. I want you to search your memory for time. Think back to the experiences you've had, the situations you've lived through, the activities you performed. Try to identify time in these memories. I suspect that the if you are finding time in various memories what you're really finding are experiences of timekeeping technologies you're finding machines or robots or tools measurement devices that we use to track time to track seconds minutes hours days decades. But really, when you're looking at your stopwatch, you're experiencing the stopwatch, you're experiencing the moment of everything that's going on of you looking at the stopwatch. And say you're looking at a stopwatch when you're exhausted on the treadmill, and you're like, I have 30 more seconds, and then I'll hit my goal, and I have to get these last 30 in, and then I'll have done it oh my gosh, the time that it takes for the second hand to tick is longer than if you're looking, if you take a quick glance at your watch when you're in a really fun moment. And we might say something like, well, it just feels longer. It just feels longer, the tick of the second hand. But here's the problem. Time... Seconds are steady. Every second is the same. You can compare seconds. You can quantify seconds. Every second is the same. Every second is as long as every other second. So how can, in your memory or in your experience, how can one second, one tick of the second hand of the watch take longer than another second? How can it be felt to take longer? Well, the answer to that is that Humans can't experience seconds. Of course one second doesn't feel as long as another second, because our bodies are not such to experience seconds at a continuous, constant rate. Our experiences of things are impacted by what's going on, and our history, and our plans. And these things don't operate at a consistent, steady rate. The memory thing is key. I have searched my memory for time, and I can't find it. I can only find movement. I can only find motion. I can only find experiences that incorporated some kind of dynamism. It wasn't static. Things were happening. Things were moving. Really, there's no difference between the movement of Pam's foot or leg, one leg going in front of the other leg, and the lever of the stopwatch. It's only my knowledge of time concepts, it's only my knowledge of the concept of a second that makes me think that I'm experiencing time when I'm watching the second hand tick. But I'm not actually experiencing a second. I can't because my seconds are different, and that's not actually how seconds work. This is kind of confusing and difficult to talk about because of the language. We need new terms, we need a distinction to be made. We've lost touch with the difference between two very different senses of time. I'm going to try to articulate this difference using two terms. There's lifetime, and meantime, m-e-a-n, time. Lifetime and meantime. Lifetime is the flow of our experience. Lifetime is a word for the content of our memories. When we search our memories and we think that we find time, that's actually lifetime. That's actually our experience, the content of our life, of our existence. It's what's going on. For example, I can have a memory of looking at the stopwatch tick. This memory is not a representative of an experience of time. Instead, it's representative of an experience of what's actually going on. Like, I would just say, oh, I'm experiencing looking at my watch right now, but I'm not actually experiencing seconds. I can't. I'm a biological organism. Lifetime is the flow of life. It's the flux of our experience. It can't be quantified. It's not standardized. It can't be chopped up into like units because life is different it's always changing it's always moving things are always happening interactions between new things are occurring all the time it's not at a steady rate that's lifetime and then mean time m-e-a-n mean refers to an average statistically like when you are trying to find the mean median or mode these are statistical constructs and i like this term mean time because time in this sense, in the mean time sense, can be standardized, quantified, and compared. It's standardized in the the sense that one day, one mean time day, is the same as another mean time day. It's 24 hours. There's no change, there's no difference at all between the days according to mean time. So I have these two new words, Um, And I want to kind of flesh out what I mean by them. I want to flesh out this distinction that I'm making that I think is so important. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to flesh out these networks of associations that you have with these two different terms. So I'm going to talk about related concepts and also um, kind of more distant derivatives of these concepts. So for example, lifetime concepts are things like experiences, one experience is not the same as another experience. It's not standardized. Experiences come in so many different forms. Some experiences last in the meantime since an hour. Other experiences last in the meantime since two hours. So they're not standardized. They don't operate at a steady rate. They're different. They're unique often. So experiences, memories, moments, situations, these things don't play out at a steady rate. Okay, so some meantime concepts. Meantime concepts, I've mentioned them, quite a few of them already. Things like seconds or hours, decades and days and calendars and years and millennia and century. These are mean-time concepts because they are the same, because they can be quantified. They're unitized. They're standardized. They're, they're comparable to each other. One second is just as long as every other second. One decade is just as long as every other decade. So now let's think of some things that um, uh, that these different concepts produce. So lifetime products, products of the lifetime sense of time, those, these would be things like reactions. because think about it. We have an experience, then we react to the experience. We react in lifetime. Judgments is another example. Emotions, feelings. These are results or products of lifetime concepts in the sense that we have we encounter a situation and then we react to it or we feel about it or we judge it in some way products of meantime experiences are things like miles per hour in order to calculate miles per hour you need the meantime concept of hour another example is the estimated time of arrival on a gps oh you're going to get there at 5 515 That relies on hours and seconds of the clock, on mean time things. Every second is the same amount of time in this mean time sense. 5 to 6 p.m. on Tuesday is the same in mean time sense as 5 to 6 p.m. on Wednesday. Miles per hour, estimated time of arrival. Flight schedules, for example. You can't have flight schedules if you don't have mean time. Because if you don't have mean time, you don't have a clock because you, you haven't quantified seconds and minutes and hours. Another thing is like marathon uh, times, like how quickly you ran the 5K. These kinds of things that are in our lives, that impact our lives. Uh, for example, like if you are a big marathon runner, it really matters to you probably uh, what your time is. You want to get that time to be a better time. So these products of mean time concepts, they impact our lives. So here's the big question. When I say you can't experience time, of course what I mean is that you can't experience mean time. You can't experience standardized units of time that occur at a steady rate these are measurements seconds is a measurement it would be like saying oh i experienced a 10 foot a to- 10 uh, foot fall i fell 10 feet did you experience 10 feet well i experienced the fall i was falling I don't actually know what the experience of a one-foot fall is, and it's not clear that the experience of a one-foot fall is half as much as the experience of a two-foot fall, because once you're already falling to begin with, there's a lot of falling happening. The falling, that's a lifetime thing. It's the experience of falling. So in the same sense that we, you can't experience the measurement of height of you can't experience 10 foot fall you can't experience the measurement of meantime you can't experience the actual hour you can only experience what happens in the hour If you can't experience meantime and lifetime is the content of your experience how should you plan your life? What is this? What does this do? Personally, I experience a lot of time stress. I often think, I don't have enough time to get everything done. I'm often thinking about how I'm wasting time, and I'm stressed about it. I'm anxious. I think about, I look at my calendar, for example, for the next month, and I'm like, am I making the most out of this next month on this calendar? I think this is a pretty common experience. And what's interesting about this is this particular kind of stress, it's stress about something that we can't actually experience. When I plan out my life on my calendar, I'm projecting into the future using these tools of mean time. Mean time gives us tools Time concepts. The measurement of a second is a tool for us. When we set an alarm on our watch, it's a tool, but I can't actually experience the time. If I'm stressed about not getting, not making enough of my time from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m., and it's currently 3 p.m., I'm experiencing stress. About meantime right now. I'm not actually experiencing stress about seconds or hours. I'm stressed about my life. I'm stressed about my experience. I'm stressed about my existence. Our experience is not measured in meantime, that is not the measure of it. Because one hour can be, it can be, not just feel, but be, according to lifetime, way longer than another hour. You've probably had moments in your life when you've gotten a really tough call, or you've come up against something terrorizing. Moments that have defined you, defined your life defined the experience of your existence now. Those moments are not equal to the other moments. It's not like if I were standing there with a stopwatch and I was like, oh, this, uh, this really impactful call about may- maybe someone close to you died. That lasted three minutes. And that three minutes for you, what it is, those three minutes are just like every other 3 minute interval in your life that would be wrong it's not just a feeling it's incorrect it's not what it is one of the thing that things that really bothers me is we talk about the feeling of time but if we can't experience time which we can't then the feeling of time is just the feeling of life itself it's just the feeling of our experience Of our existence. There is no separation between the feeling of time and feeling because every feeling is happening at a second. The seconds keep rolling in, you know, according to mean time. The stopwatch keeps ticking up. And life does not operate according to that consistent schedule because we're not robots. You know we psych ourselves out about what we're plan- what we're planning to do by conflating meantime and lifetime. It messes with how much we can enjoy our lives in the moment, and this is why this distinction is so important. That we are using time and we're privileging the meantime sense of time, even though. We say things like, it felt like forever. We can't experience forever. It's like infinity. Every time you try to feel it or conceptualize it or understand it, it extends beyond your grasp conceptually in terms of how you feel about it. But when people go around and they talk about time, they privilege this mean time sense, and then they when you when you try to make the distinction between lifetime and meantime between the flow of life and these quantified measurements they invoke this phrase the feeling of it's subjective it's not as real i think that that's not true i think that obviously both concepts are really useful Both senses of the term time are important. One is not good and one is not bad. It depends on the context, how useful it is. But I think what's really important is that we've lost connection. We've lost our ability to clearly distinguish between these two very different senses of time. There is no the feeling of time. And once you get that, once you realize that when I say there's no the feeling of time, I mean there's no the feeling of time because your literal body can't do that because it doesn't run at a consistent rate. It can't possibly experience one second the same as another second. It doesn't work like that. So when you say the feeling of time, you can't really mean anything other than the feeling of lifetime of this more experiential sense of time, the sense of what is happening, existential time. And if that's what you mean, then really all you're saying is the experience of life or the experience of the moment or of the situation. If I um, read a book and I said like, I I read two different books for an, an hour. I timed myself with my stopwatch. An hour for one book, an hour for another book. And then I think back about how long the activity felt. I could go, well, reading book one felt a lot longer than reading book two. What am I saying? I'm saying there's a difference in lifetime. I'm saying I found one book to be different than another book. It had different aspects to it, different properties that impacted how much I enjoyed it or how um, difficult it was to comprehend We're trying to map mean time concepts onto lifetime concepts. We're trying to draw these parallels, but it doesn't make any sense, and it's not really that helpful. If I go, book one felt a lot longer than book two, you understand me to mean that that I enjoyed book two better. It's a lifetime concept. So the key here is to connect back with lifetime and to think about how you think about time and to make these distinctions between lifetime and meantime because if you do that I believe that you will prioritize things better because you can't experience meantime so you can't really prioritize the experience of meantime so a big implication of this is anticipation anxiety if I'm having anxiety about a time related product or concept, like for example, if I have a nine hour work day ahead of me, if I wake up before work and I think about the nine hoursness of it, if that starts to weigh on me, oh it's it's nine hours, nine hours. Nine hours is so long gosh, I don't want to do this for nine hours. I'm fooling myself. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about anything. There is no the experience of nine hours. I'm letting that get in the way of my thinking. It's confusing me. I don't dread hours. I can't experience hours, so I can't really dread them, can I? I'm experiencing the activity, well, no, I'm dreading the activity. I'm dreading the activity of logging into work and, or whatever, going to work and doing the work and responding to my Slack messages, emails. That's what I dread. I don't dread the nine hours. Oftentimes I get caught in this loop where I start thinking of activities in terms of mean time this is not always bad i really want to make that point clear it's not always bad sometimes you have to do this to plan or to get more skilled at a certain um athletic sport for example it helps you do the activity better but that's the key point meantime concepts need to serve us they are tools If you start to get really anxious about units of time, when really it's the activity that you're anxious about, your anxiety is going to be confused and you're more likely to get stuck in a thought loop. You're less likely to be able to compare the activity that you're actually dreading, not the hours, but the activity, to other activities and to think of it in terms of the activity, in terms of the experience of the activity. Thinking of it that way, which is a lifetime way of thinking, helps you prioritize things. It helps you stay in the moment, and it helps you live your life. That's all I have to say about that. I hope that was really interesting. I hope it was the most profound and interesting thing you've heard all year. Um, if you have any feedback, um, shoot me an email at fightingenemy@gmail.com. at gmail.com. I'm hoping to release more podcasts soon. And now for our last segment, thoughts and recommendations. I have decided to whittle this down into just thought and recommendation, because I got some feedback that there were too many thoughts. Too many thoughts and recommendations, which, facts, I get that. So instead, I just have one thought for you, and one recommendation. Here's the thought. There's this awesome sociologist, he's dead now, but his name was Norbert Elias, and he did a lot of sociology of the emotions which I find fascinating, because emotions are moral judgments. So for example, uh, he didn't really talk about this specifically, but here's an example. Disgust. Back in the day, way, way, way back in human history, when we didn't have salad forks, we had conflict. We had fighting in the woods, chasing animals. And the things that we were disgusted by most of the time were like human human um substances (laughs) like there's poop on the ground someone's throwing up oh there's blood oh an animal like tore someone apart that's disgusting but as things become safer as culture uh develops and evolves uh we are not living in the woods as much anymore instead we're in buildings we're in restaurants and there's salad forks and We don't often see someone get torn apart by animals, if ever. And we don't often see as much of the kind of visceral life experiences that um, were way more common back before civilization, basically, modern civilization. So what's interesting is to think about emotional reactions. I don't really love this term emotional, but I'm going to go with it right now. These feeling states... That occur in response to events. So, for example, uh, disgust it can range, and we might call this range uncultured to cultured. I don't know if that's a good way to think about it, but that's one way to think about it. So, you might think of uh, historically uncultured disgust as being more more primal, more primitive, more fundamental. Disgust at vomit. But then, you might think of learned, learned, culturally learned, discussed responses. So, I like this example. Imagine uh, a really posh, super posh person, super tight-assed, and they're at their five-star, super expensive restaurant. You don't even get to, like, choose what food you want because the menu is that fancy. And everything comes in really small portions, um... And everything has like a French name or something and you can't pronounce it. So you're at one of these places and you see this really posh person look over and you see that they, that one of their dinner guests has used the salad fork for their entree. (sighs) They used it for their entree. And this really uh, bougie person is like, (laughs) oh, you disgusting plebe. (laughs) <laughs> you poor uncultured swine that's a kind of cultured response and we we have there are better examples of this <laughs> you know we might be kind of disgusted that um you know that someone made a statement um like an ideological statement that also requires culture if someone says something racist or kind of bigoted and we're like blah blah don't don't say that. Don't even think that. What is your problem? That's also a kind of cultured disgust. Okay, so I want you to think about this continuum from uncultured to cultured as it pertains to our emotional reactions. And now I want you to place that continuum on top of the the continuum of weakness to strength. Strength, back in uncultured times, might be like... um. Fighting a bear. And that's still strong in a sense today, of course. There are really strong people today in that sense. And that's awesome. Fighting bears, lifting rocks, shooting out babies just one after another, like, ugh, shooting them out. So, what is the, so there's, you know, disgust at vomit, and then there's disgust at the salad fork use. And the salad fork use disgust would be more cultured. So, what would the cultured form of strength be? How has strength how has strength changed now that we are in a more civilized place where we're not having to fight people all the time unless we want to? I mean, sometimes we have to fight them, but most of the times we don't have to fight people. We don't need to lift strong rocks out of the way, or lift heavy rocks. I think, and here's the thought. It's been a lot of setup. The thought is that it's the embrace of conflict. Conflict avoidance is weakness and the embrace of conflict is strength if you have a problem with your friend and you're too scared to tell them the truth about it to bring up the problem with them to kind of look over that precipice embrace the risk that they might leave you forever but you still have this problem with them and it's gnawing at you and it makes you not want to spend time with them You are a weak person, a weak friend, a bad friend, if you don't bring that up. That is weakness. That is modern-day cultured weakness. And strength, strength now, I think, is way more sophisticated than it used to be. Strength now is more holistic. It incorporates more of your mind. It's about thinking strong. Strength now is about embracing that conflict, taking that risk, intentionally. With forethought, you fully see it. You don't avoid it at all. You recognize it for what it is, and you choose it. I think that's strength. That's the thought. Recommendation, one of the best movies I've seen all year. Sick of Myself. An amazing Norwegian dark comedy movie about narcissism and a Countercultural commentary on victimhood culture. It is funny. It is poignant. It is very uh, accurate in depicting narcissism. One of the I don't want to spoil anything. Don't watch the trailer. Like if what I've sound interested you enough to even think about it, the trailer reveals the whole plot. And if you're okay with that, fine. But I would recommend not watching the trailer because it's really just gives away too much information. But uh, there's this. There's this great, there's a lot of great themes in this movie. There's the theme of seriousness. They talk about this a lot. There's the theme of care and caring, of caring for and being careful of, and how different those things are, and how narcissists can't tell the difference between those things. It's really funny. And um, one of the things I like most about this movie is the theme of honesty. And how the truth is entrenched in our social relationships. You can't be honest with people if you expect to receive attention for the truth. If what you think the truth is, is that which will give you attention, you don't understand what the truth is. And your kind of honesty is parasitic. And people won't care for your truth. They'll either get sucked way too into it, or they'll reject it. So the theme of narcissistic truth and the kind of epistemology of psychopathology is just wonderfully and creatively and comedically explored in this totally awesome movie. Sick of myself. I'd recommend it. And that's a wrap. I look forward to another episode soon.